I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Dr. Joseph Scalia III, a psychoanalyst, environmentalist, and social critic. Dr. Scalia holds a doctorate in psychoanalysis, society, and culture from the Boston Graduate School of Psychoanalysis. He is in private practice in Livingston, Montana, living on the northern reaches of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Dr. Scalia is also a conservationist whose environmental criticisms have appeared recently in Counterpunch, Mountain Journal, Wilderness Podcast, Rendering Unconscious, and numerous newspapers in Montana. For more, please visit the website GallatinYellowstoneWilderness.org for information about the Gallatin Yellowstone Wilderness Alliance. If you're listening to this podcast on the Rendering Unconscious stream, please know there is a video of our conversation on YouTube. Just search for Trapart Films YouTube channel. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Chapart Books, 2019. For more, please visit our publisher's website, chapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated for more information you can also visit my website drvanessasinclair.net or the podcast main website renderingunconscious.org Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Oh goodness, where to start? I well, actually that's easy because I want to start with what is the springboard for me for um, really the proposal of a new conservation ethic um, that I'm going to call Terra and Demos, but that I will get back to. And the, the springboard is the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, uh, which has its center in Yellowstone National Park. Um, and I'll describe what those things mean um at least what greater yellowstone ecosystem means in a moment but let me say this i i feel that interviews such as this are so important right now because um even very 
socially conscious people around the world, very socially critical people around the world, um, even very environmentally conscious people around the world have no idea the dangers by and large, all, almost exclusively, have no idea the dangers of um, to vast wild country that still exists here. And I think it's a national and an international issue that's been appropriated by locals and regionals here for um, their own self-interest, their own being tied to a dominant ideology of our society, which is consume, 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 and grow, 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 and everything will be fine. And that applies to, in America, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. So this area is very endangered, and people don't realize that. So this area, Yellowstone. So people know about Yellowstone Park, right? That is fairly known around the world world and people come from around the world in great numbers to visit Yellowstone Park which is 2.2 million acres um, what that amounts to in like miles like square miles I, I, Yellowstone is about I'm gonna say 45 miles by 45 miles I've never looked on a map to see maybe it's more than that maybe it's 60 by 60, something like that. That's 2.2 million acres. With all its incredible geothermal features that are very famous, um, phenomenal to experience, um, but also all of its iconic wildlife. So the wildlife here exists in its pre-1492 entirety. Everything of wildlife that was in the Yellowstone ecosystem before white people colonized this continent is still here. That is a rare claim to be made anywhere, um, anywhere on earth, um, certainly in it's the only place i believe that you can make that claim um for an ecosystem uh in, in uh in the united in the lower 48. so what's here is apex predators the grizzly bear the the gray wolf buffalo um tremendous elk herds beautiful gigantic you know numbering in thousands and numbers of those herds okay it's not only beautiful but it is sublime and you know we talk a lot about climate change global warming this is the big environmental threat that people are aware of a little more it's getting out there that it's not so single as that we're looking at the threat of environmental collapse which is many things it's uh, you know it's ocean acidification it's it's desertification of of previous forest land or ranged grasslands um it's 
it's incredible pollution. It's all the plastics that we've put into the ocean. Um, it's overfishing. It's, um, it's over mining. It's, it's dumping mine waste and all kinds of wastes all over the planet in a way, all of this in ways that just are not sustainable for the existence of humanity um, over the long run. So species losses, that's, that's a very clear thing um, that Yellowstone stands as a, a sort of a, a symbolic and a material buttress against. Uh, so, okay, I'll say one more thing and then I, I, I wanna check in with you and kind of redirect or see where we're at. Um, so that's Yellowstone, 2.2 million acres. The greater Yellowstone ecosystem is approximately 20 million acres. So that's from where I'm sitting right here, in fact, um, in Livingston, Montana. Um, I'm on the northern edge of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, looking out my window right now at the Absorca Beartooth Wilderness. Um, and it extends, so I'm, I'm on the roughly um, northwestern edge of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, and then it extends, oh gosh, maybe 170 miles south and then um, and then depending on where north to south you look across at its east to west breadth it's um, oh it's anywhere from 100 miles to to 50 miles okay that the wildlife that i mentioned that exists in yellowstone park is dependent on that entire greater yellowstone ecosystem it's you can't just have that wildlife integrity in that little spot if you to mo most graphically easily imagine how that might be if you brought the hordes of humanity that we we're becoming in our ever-expanding population to the edges of Yellowstone Park all around it. And there was no room for any wildlife outside of there. It's a little easier to imagine the threat that that might um, bring to the wildlife. Um, but imagine that that actually is happening um, with humanity encroaching into the tendrils um, that exists inside the greater Yellowstone ecosystem that aren't protected against development. So, okay, that's, that's the kind of broad overview of, of um, what I think people need to be aware of. Oh, that, so that also, sorry, that Yellowstone, if we can preserve its, its biological, its wildlife, diversity and that ecosystem integrity that is, that is part of the, that the wildlife and uh, diversity here is part of. If we can preserve that in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, 
being as large as it is, one, that is very hopeful. Um, and so symbolically gives a sense of the possible future of humanity and, and, and for, for what we can be, that we might actually be able to live in harmony with, um, with biodiversity and wildlife diversity and species diversity, but also it presents a very material reality that there's not a lot left of species diversity. And this is one of the places left. And the more we destroy those, the more we make those non-existent, or closer to closer to non-existent, the closer we are to non-existent. Okay. So I've said a ton already to start. You can see a lot is on my mind. No, it's uh, a really good point. Funny, funny thing that happened this morning when I was on Twitter, <laughs> um, but this came up where apparently there's a group of like international scientists and, and also like sociologists and psychologists. Um, I can't remember what the group they have formed is called, but I think it's working at a Brown University. And they said that they're trying to look at like the sociocultural um, issues that are keeping climate change and this climate crisis on the back burner and like all the political issues and sociological issues that are keeping people from addressing this because it's an emergency and for some reason it's yeah. not like all we're talking about <laughs> right right yeah that's very good and but see even there it's like it's climate and global warming and it's and it's so much more yeah um, you know, even we look at the Green New Deal, that's all about climate change. It's all about um, getting fossil fuels uh, re reliance um, done with. But we don't know really how to live with our demands, humanity's demands for power, for electricity and gas um we don't know how to do that in a sustainable way for our human population um the green new deal even if it succeeded will not accomplish that even it's not even implementable in a sustainable way globally it's presented as though it is but the technology truly is not there. And there's a lot of science that indicates that, but science and engineering, but it's not, um, it, it's, that's just not in the public discourse at all. So even in this Brown University group, perhaps from what you've described at any rate, it, it's not on the front burner. And, and it needs to be, if we just are looking at climate change, we're going to miss the boat. Yeah, I've you been know, watching, I've been trying to watch in my pandemic depression, I've been trying to watch things about yeah. the planet and animals and nature and the interesting, great things that people do. And I watched this one strange rock recently and they, they talked to all these astronauts uh, that have been in space and they talk about 
how like when you're in space you can truly see that the planet is like one system and that something happens on this side of the uh. planet affects something on the other side of the planet and people really need to start looking at it as one system and like something that's alive instead of treating it like something that's inert that is beautiful i'm so glad you said that and that that's being said somewhere and no is known um I think that's a, a crucial knowledge. Um, so that that takes me to this notion of, um, as I've termed it, an, an ethic of Terra and Demos, by which I mean, we need, ideally, well, to survive, we need a collective ethic of the good of the all, the Demos, all people, not some people, all people, um, so looking at the interconnectedness of us all, the interdependence of all of us on each other across the globe, but all of the earth also, Terra, so Terra and Demos. And, and so that includes not just the air, it includes not just forest or wildlife, it includes rocks and what how we mine and what we mine and what we do with that and um so all of it is is a system as you said that's wonderful um you'll have to send me a, a link please I to, will. to that that's wonderful i will i will look into that and, and so you know we're a far cry from having a collective ethic of we're going to determine our policies and practices according to what is good and sustainable for all humans and all the earth. We are so, so, so far from that, of course. But what we could do is begin to implement that on small scales, um, like environmental groups when they are making their strategy and vision and mission statements um, could be making their determinations based on if I promote this use of the land is what does that do for the long-term um, interdependence of the earth and, and of all aspects of the earth and, and of all humanity. And that is not going on amongst all, virtually all the big environmental groups. That is not part of their ethos, part of their ethic. It's not part of, it's not in their discourse. In fact, when something of even approximating it is brought to their attention, they censor it as effectively as they can. So that's, I We'll see how much we get into that or not, but that is a in the so environmental why do you think movement. That is, is it because they have their own kind of agenda agendas that are more specific that they're pushing, or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so they censor any kind of what I I've started to call disputational dialogue, where where we where nothing would be censored from the conversation, and we could really duke it out about everything that needs to be said, and that anyone can bring to the table to say, hey, this is crucial. How do you answer to this? That they don't want that because um, what's happened as the environmental movement has evolved is 
is it's evolved in concert with the with capitalism's evolution and capitalism's turn to neoliberalism and to as the political philosopher Wendy Brown puts it in her book Undoing the Demos, um, which is what I borrow from from my term Terra and Demos, um, is the economization of everything. The economization of everything has occurred. So um, everything that serves the neoliberal agenda, uh, any, any aspect of life that could oppose the neoliberal agenda has been neoliberalized so that it goes along with that agenda. And anyone who speaks outside of that is marginalized. And so the big, and that includes monetarily. And so what's happened in funding is um, corporate, found, um, corporate funded foundations um, fund the environmental groups. And they, these are corporations who are, you know, deeply indebted to, to for their, their monetary wealth to um, to an exploitive way of doing business, and so for one, they can greenwash and conscience launder by um, say, telling themselves and the world, "Look how wonderful we really are, how virtuous we are in truth." Because look at all the money we're giving to try to protect the planet. Um, but but their way of protecting it has to be such that they can keep doing business as usual. Um, so, so you've had environmental groups grow their budgets astronomically as neoliberal capitalism has evolved over the last 40 or 40 plus years. And you've seen them ev evolve their... Um, their visions and missions and strategies and policies um, to go along with um, this neoliberalization and this support of this, this only doing things that allow capitalism to continue to, to progress, <laughs> which sounds like a good term, to evolve um, uh, unimpeded or relatively unimpeded. So, I mean, I, that's what's happened. Um, I, I think I, I think as a psychoanalyst, though, I want to add what Christopher Bolas has recently talked about in his uh, the paper that he gave um, to 2000 of us. Um, you may well have been there. Um, Civilization and the discontented and what he called um, psychotic group processes. Um, so just in brief, what he means by that is catastrophic, exploitive, um, destructive things that occur can be negatively hallucinated. That is, I will not see this horror right in front of my eyes. Um, and I will believe what some powerful entity is telling me is going on that 
gives a discourse to prove that this horror does not exist, or insofar as it might exist, it's being taken care of by this powerful entity. Um, and so you get essentially then delusion and hallucination in, um, in large groups. Um, and so that's what he means by psychotic group processes. And so, I mean, you can, you know, pick on the Trump world easily and you can say, easily point to how that's the case with Trump and his base, which Bolas talks about in that paper. But, you know, you can look inside the Democratic Party world and see it also. And you can look inside environmentalism and see it also. So we're seeing that here in Yellowstone. So the, the major environmental groups who are all heavily indebted to corporate foundations um, have done this model, have adopted this model for quite some time now called Collaborate and Compromise, where they, uh, whereby they, they go about um, forming special interest groups who are who are who are touted as being representative of the community, but they are always um, vetted. They're always exclusive. There are always those who are ex excluded from these collaborations. Um, so you can guess it's who's excluded or people who are going to bring a discourse that. Um, to be materialized would go against the grain of, of the, well, the neoliberalization, the economization of everything. So, so what's happening is environmental groups will go in and they'll work with other groups who want to use wild land for things that are destructive in one way or another to the wild land, and they'll subdivide. They'll say, okay, you get this and we get this. And so we environmental groups, we can get this piece of land designated as wilderness under the 1964 Wilderness Act. And we can say, look, we've made more wilderness. We're doing something good. And what they aren't saying is we excluded people from the collaborations who were going to ask us to answer to questions like when we traded away these other lands that were crucial for wildlife and got wilderness in land that is not crucial for wildlife, how do we defend um, our actions, right? That's going on all over the place. And in Montana, which is vital, uh, at least in this part of Montana for the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, and thus for Yellowstone Park, um, these groups are now, I would say, even becoming rather megalomaniacal. So in terms of psychotic group processes, again, they're very excited because they think they have that they, they, they will accomplish, I have to give some detail of, of, of what's, what's at danger specifically in this area of Yellowstone, but they're, they think they're about, and they probably are, about to accomplish um, a pretty destructive uh, end point of their collaboration and compromising. And now they want to apply that model to other existing um, contested wild lands in Montana and saying, look, we've been so successful here, we can go be this successful in these five other areas and 
do the same damage we've done here, but that we're not calling damage, that we're calling conservation. Yeah, and you and your point too, what you said before, if like this central area ecosystem relies on this rest of this kind of land and ecosystem around it, then if you divvy that up and like give half of it away, then just because you keep part, the whole doesn't function anymore. So it's it's lost. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's right. Thank you. You got it exactly. So let me try to paint a, a picture of, of what is happening right here. So in the Gallatin mountain range, um, which extends from, from right here in Livingston, uh, Montana, um, 50 miles down south into Yellowstone Park and then a ways into the park. Um, North of the park boundary, there is, uh, in the Gallatin Range, there is an area called, well, it's a wilderness study area, which, um, which means it's land that was set aside by, by legislation, it's the 1977 Montana Wilderness Study Act, um, passed by Congress, U.S. Congress. And, um, it was set aside when, when you set aside land as a wilderness study area it means that um, the governing agency in this case the forest service has to quote manage it for as though it were designated wilderness so in the to the degree that it had wilderness qualities at the passage of the act so in 1977 so that means mountain bikes didn't exist then. Um, so there were no mountain bikes riding in there. So you don't have mountain bikes riding in there now. It means, or that's one interpretation. You certainly don't have hordes of them, which is not open to interpretation. Uh, mo motorbikes, other motorized recreational vehicles existed, but not anything like in the power and ability to move quickly and um, with a, a, a lightness of, of the rider, like it's these machines that are very powerful are much easier to maneuver now. You used to have to, you know, have like great physical strength to ride a snowmobile and move that big behemoth and around on the snow and it's they've gotten lighter and lighter and easier to ride and faster and faster this happened with all the motorized vehicles um they've even made new kinds of motorized vehicles that are even more capable of getting deeper and deeper into land wildland quicker and quicker so these all of these things should be kept out of wilderness study areas because they're not allowed in wilderness um so now what what's happened is we have this large wilderness study area in the gallatins that that could be designated wilderness um which would be very important to the the greater yellowstone ecosystem not only for general wildlife diversity but specifically for a major elk herd like i don't know the number exactly let's say a thousand head of elk 
who winter and birth in these two lower elevation valleys of this wilderness study area. And the environmental groups who are powerful, the dominant ones, the corporate funded ones, um, who have done the collaborate and compromise model and now want to do it elsewhere in wilderness study areas around Montana. Um, they, they, so they've traded away um, in their collaborate and compromise agreements the, the most important parts of the wilderness study area, the WSA is the acronym. Um, these two lower elevation valleys that are depend that where these elk live in the winter, which is no small thing to survive in the winter here. Mm. Um, it is so. What's today? October twenty third. To give mm. you a sense of the the land, what what weather is here right now? When I went running, it was eight degrees this morning. Um, we've got several inches of snow on the ground. We're about to get nine inches of snow. Um, this weekend and the temperatures are going to be at zero and below zero for a couple of nights. That's unusual for this time of year, but it's not that unusual. This is cold country. Those elk need those lower elevation valleys. Um, they you don't have the, anywhere else to go. All the animals you described, they all sound like the animals that are here in northern Sweden, the elk and moose and we don't have grizzly bear, but they have brown bear and elk and reindeer. <laughs> ah, that's wonderful. And buffalo. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, so, yeah. The, I'll tell you the wilderness study area, the name of it here, it's called, it's, it's, it's the longest, most awkward name. It's Hyalite Parcupine. So these are names of creeks and buffalo horn. <laughs> so buffalo. Um, so the the threat. Oh, the other the other uh, another the most iconic and and visible other wildlife important feature of these two valleys that these groups want to give away from remove from wilderness protections that they now have with the WSA. Um, is the grizzly bear. So the, the Yellowstone grizzly, there are 700 of them. They had been reduced, I think, to under 100. I don't remember the number how, at, at their lowest. Um, and they're up to 700. And they need to be able to get out of the Yellowstone area into the northern Rockies ecosystem, so farther north um to survive for their genetic integrity they need to interbreed they can't stay in just this group of 700 and survive in perpetuity and so um that these two lower elevation valleys are crucial for their ability to migrate uh, so again this would be interrupted uh, because so what would happen is so so these drainages, so that's the name for uh, a valley or a canyon with, a, as it drains the water that comes into it from snow and rain, um, it's called a drainage. 
Um, and so these drainages, the porcupine and the buffalo horn, are both lower elevation, which is, you know, unusual to have lower elevation valleys that are so they're full of meadows, right? And they're they're not just rocky and snowy and um, inclement and there's something more lush about them and so that's why they're richer in wildlife so they're not called rock and ice wilderness quote unquote that's the higher like less desired stuff so that's what they're going to get that's what they're trading and going to say oh look we got rock and ice wilderness they won't call it that but that's what they want to get and they're going to get and they're going to say we got this big victory but they're giving away this vital country. So it's, uh, I'm finally linking, there's just so much to say. I'm linking back to a point you made. So yeah, it's right. The porcupine drainage, it, it comes out of, in, into the Gallatin River. It, 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 the porcupine creek drains into the Gallatin River. Um, so at the, the terminus of that valley, the Porcupine Valley, is right across the river from Big Sky, Montana. So Big Sky is this enormous um, alpine um, uh, retreat city. So it's a retreat town. It's like Vail or Aspen or Telluride, Colorado. And, and it's just, it's, it's full of uh, ultra wealthy people. It's full. It's just. It's a neoliberal bastion, um, just like those places I've named in Colorado are, and um, those places in Colorado have lost their wildness. They're tragic, and and that's what's happening here. So the porcupine drains really just a stone's throw from Big Sky. So what you have is. You can have people now, if that becomes um, not wilderness protected, then you're gonna have mountain bikers who are gonna come from all over the Western United States and farther away, because mountain biking is a big recreational activity here. It's amazing to think of this. It still boggles my mind, but it's like you go out to places where they're allowed and they're everywhere. It, these mountain bikes are everywhere. It's like in the backcountry. It's crazy. And so wildlife can't live with this, right? It's we're citifying the backcountry is what we're doing. And so if you make this um, a recreation area, which is what looks like is about to happen, um, then you're going to have people come hang out in uh, very pleasant to stay in if you've got the money to do it, Big Sky, Montana, and ride your mountain bike right outside your snazzy hotel room door, right all the way to the trailhead and up into the Porcupine. You can ride over the top of the ridge because it's got lower elevation ridge to cross over into the Buffalo Horn Creek drainage, which will all, which is another lower elevation valley, which will also be traded away. And so it's nightmarish to imagine what that will do. So there, that kind of brings it, brings it to the end of trying to explain. Um, what do you think people can do to help? Oh gosh, so I'm glad you asked. I, 
I think if, well, I would say for people to try to spread the word, to try to become informed, to try to understand what is happening here, um, to look at, so there is a group, the Gallatin Yellowstone Wilderness Alliance, um, that I'm affiliated with that's that opposes these big green groups. It is a it has no corporate monies. It has no allegiance to to corporate to to corporate America or global corporatism. Um, um, it has no full time staff. Um, it has virtually no part time staff, very little money. Right. It's volunteers. But it is fighting a fight. Look at that website for information, GallatinYellowstoneWilderness.org. That is a great place to get information about what's happening. Um, think about just joining that group, which is free to do. If you can donate to that group, that would be great. Um, but even just to join so that numbers grow. So we can say we have this many members from around the country who support what we're saying. Um, but we're going to be trying to find um, uh, a congressional champion to sponsor a wilderness bill that doesn't give away the form. Um, and so um, have that in the back of your minds too. Speak to your congressman, if you care about this issue, your congressman who um, who you know might be sympathetic to what's going on here, inform them if you've become informed. Those are things people can do. Those are very real things people can do that that actually might be amongst the most important actions because I mean that's what's going to have to happen in the short run is is wilderness legislation in the Gallatins to protect um, not rock and ice wilderness, but full wilderness protection. There's 230,000 acres at stake um, that should be legislated wilderness. At minimum, 175,000 of that or contest, more actively contested and could more readily probably be designated. Ideally, the full 230 should be. Um, the big greens are looking at only going for a hundred and giving away the most wildlife crucial. So that's, that's in a nutshell, again, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. And I think, I mean, at this point, I think we should be looking at making more land protected and not be giving away anymore because we can't, yep. we, we, ha we can't afford to do that. And people, that's like, right. if people want to build or whatever, they need to like fix up things we've already ruined or exploited, you know, and use that, yeah. but don't keep taking more and more land. Yes, thank you. That is, that is part of our message. It's part of my message is no more, no more subdividing, no more building roads into wild country, no more logging old growth forest. Mm -mm. No, no more building new logging roads to log more trees in the forests. That's not what we need to do. We we've done enough. Exactly, and that's yeah. enough. 
You know, to Vanessa, um, to accomplish that, I mean, I, I think we've got to look at this larger ethic for humanity. We can't keep growing the human population indefinitely. Um, we can't keep solving our economic problems by creating more and more money that buys more and more and gobbles up more and more and destroys more and more. Um, and, that, and that continues to not look at what we're doing to ever larger percentages, not just numbers, but percentages of humanity, rendering them um, more and more dehumanized um, and, and further and further despoiling the whole damn planet. And so it's like that whole global picture has got to be looked at, that ethic of Terra and Demos has got to be a guiding principle. And I, I think people have to start thinking that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's scary how uh, the government hasn't protected because like I'm from Florida originally, I'm from Miami. And so my whole life growing up there, I kept seeing like, you know, Miami, naturally has these huge banyan trees with all these roots and foliage and shade you know which we need in Miami because it's really hot and like they just continually like widen the roads and rip out these really old trees and then plant all these little palm trees which don't do anything to help and like when right. I was growing up I remember riding my bike around and like there were orange trees and tangerines and kumquats and kiwis and star fruit and all sorts of different kinds of fruit trees we had mangoes and avocados and you could ride your bike around and just like pick fruit off the trees and this is like in the 80s you know but now it's not you can't do that anywhere it's all gone and even i am from coconut grove originally and there's this like the oldest house in southern florida is this place called the barnacle and the family who lived there they owned all this land of like mangroves all up and down that area and it was all protected and when like the last one of that family died they donated it to the state to as protected land so that it would stay that way and then the state sold it and now they've built like oh. all these townhouses there and it's like mm. can you imagine donating your land to the state and then they sell it like i i didn't know they were allowed to do that you know <laughs> that's the whole point of right. donating it to the state right right they didn't do it through the legal mechanisms that would have prevented that that's horrible or the state perverted you know those mechanisms which is always practicable probably because Florida is usually pretty mm. corrupt government wise mm. <laughs> god yeah we're we're on a really bad path you know and and, and it's like it, you can see why so many people negatively hallucinate it's it's terrifying if you don't and it's it's so cause so much cause for grief is if you don't negatively hallucinate and if you don't believe there's some simplistic oversimplistic savior out there who in his or in its group expressions of grandiosity are gonna save you if you don't believe that it it's pretty rough to look at 
that everyone needs to wake up. <laughs> um, you just said it was really hard for people to, you know, look at reality, basically. And it's, it's makes sense that everyone's kind of negatively hallucinating, which is true. I think about that all the time with this and also with just thinking about being on Earth in general and like what is going on here you know <laughs> like i sometimes think yeah. like why aren't we always just looking at the cosmos and being like what is this you know what like looking at nature and looking at the cosmos and being completely awestruck all the time but of course it's probably because you know it's pretty overwhelming like what is this yeah. <laughs> right yeah no kidding yes so we could be awestruck or petrified <laughs> all the time. <laughs> right. I know. Well, that's really beautiful. Uh, yeah. How do we deal with, which only some of your listenership will know the meaning of, and I don't know that I want us to try to go into, but how do we deal with the jouissance of the other that's there encroaching upon us. And, but I do want to go into just jouissance as a more overarching term in, in its relation to, and what it means in its relation to what you are just saying about, um, you know, why we might want to negatively hallucinate and, and how this death drive kind of elaboration of Lacan's of jouissance this this notion of you know I can have unending enjoyment um, rather than have to accept limits on enjoyment and and um, and actually have an informed uh, life that is appreciative of the integrity and the actuality and the otherness of everything and everyone around me no, I don't have to deal with that. I can just consume, consume, consume whatever it is I'm consuming. It's like that jouissance is what's going on in the Northern Rockies and in the in the West with, with extractive industry and with recreation and its destructions of the of wild land. It's just I can maniacally consume. I can ride my mountain bike, I can put on my snazzy, sexy looking outdoor gear and go outside and run a million miles in the back country. Just, I can be a fun hog and not think that that's what I am. I can think that I just am living in harmony with nature, but all the while I'm not looking at, there are more and more of me doing this and we're, on machines and developing our bodies such that we're going farther and farther in in greater and greater numbers and we're displacing wildlife and we're generating non-wild land by our progressive blind i must enjoy all the time encroachments jouissance in the rockies <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that really makes sense. And that's a really good point. And um, something else that happened during this pandemic that I don't know if you saw, and I can't remember what it was called, but I will link to it. But Michael Moore had posted this video, this film on YouTube for free over the summer that was talking about, I didn't know how I felt about it because it was so depressing. But now uh -huh. I feel like, oh, okay, I see what he's talking about because it sounds like what you're talking about 
where like the whole industry of like being green, this like green industry is actually really corporatized as well. And these alternative energy sources, even if we switch over to them, we don't know what kind of effect they're all going to have. Like it takes a lot to mine whatever they need for these batteries for the electric cars and things like that. So it's just like a whole other set of problems. That's it. Very good. Yeah. The movie is Planet of the Humans. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and so as a matter of fact, uh, part of the rest of that story is um, big green groups tr- uh, wanted to suppress that story. They didn't want that documentary out there, um, especially big green groups that are promoting the Green New Deal and the trillions of dollars that, um, that investors and financiers can make um, from the Green New Deal, just promoting it as, quote, green without, like you say, looking at what kind of destructive, what kind of price of destruction are we paying in this transition by going to these other forms of, of power generation? What harm are we doing there? And what are we both to the land and in terms of environmental injustice, like what what other countries who have less political power than we and 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 what more poverty-ridden parts of those countries will be devastated by our extractive and polluting industries there that are going to support our new quote greenness, right? All of that is negatively hallucinated too, but but so the Green New Deal folks and like like 350.org and Bill McKibben and Naomi Klein, who are all big promoters of, of this, um, they they tried they went very actively in this effort to uh, get rid of as much as they could censor from dissemination and from public um, reception. Um, this this movie, The Planet of the Humans, very disturbing. Like, no, yeah, because I saw not. a lot of backlash on that on the internet after it came out too. They said, oh, we hope Michael Moore hasn't done more harm now that he's put this out and that sort of thing. Yeah, nope, nope. I, it's, uh, yeah, that's, and, and you know what? You hear that from the big green groups here in Montana, like they'll want to attack a group like mine by saying, you know, you're spreading these these ideas to to the general public that that are going to make us look bad and we won't be able to do the good things we're doing. And it's like, but this isn't a good thing you're doing. Yeah, you can't compromise with big corporate interests. <laughs> yeah. It's like negotiating with terrorists. <laughs> right, right. Oh, goodness. Well... Is there anything else you wanted to be sure to mention? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I was thinking this seems like a, a pretty good wrapping up place. Um, I suppose I just would like to underscore um, that there is this vast ecosystem here called the Greater Yellowstone um, that. The, the countries and the world's first national park, Yellowstone, is dependent upon. Um, 
and that is still not spoiled. It's, it's a very rare place that we have the wildness that we have here. It is, um, it is sublime and it is just awe-inspiring. I mean, I have goosebumps right now speaking, just I'm in it. And we're very close to destroying it with, um, with really a perverted language. I mean, pretending that we're doing something good while we're really just continuing to cannibalize. This, what remains here right now is truly a treasure and it's a vast treasure, but it, it is really threatened. It's all around it, um, right? Just nipping at the heels of this whole 20 million acre ecosystem is, or incredible incursions of humanity. So the world needs to know and it, it's being managed, quote unquote, decisions are being made about what to do with it by people who live around it, who are special interest groups and who are deciding it for themselves and the world and the country are not having a voice, not to mention neither is the health of the land or wildlife. But humans who value this are not having a voice in these decisions at all. And if you care about this place, and if you have some understanding of the last best placeness of it in the lower 48, um, it's, uh, it's on the edge of not being here anymore. Yes, yeah, so we'll put a link to your group and so that if anything, people can join the group and increase the numbers and therefore help increase your voice. All right. Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Joseph. Keep up all the good work. Thanks. You too. Thanks for your work with, with, with rendering unconscious and uh, keeping keep the idea of the unconscious in the world. <laughs>
2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information, you can also visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Audiences will stare at the mouth of us. Understand what someone's this incredibly big secret and background consistent. But she knows me very well. Everyone can tell. The body of flesh or body of body as opposed to on the same subject, scapegoats are used banknotes alone, not the sext. Credible that, she says, that's want to be exposed. Polymorphously perverse, likely a course as any described perversion in this way. Messages, take them or leave them. That's art. Psychoanalyst, artist, and conscious mind. And the calendar. It's not like that for a French-speaking film. Cinema that can go anywhere. And you get, I wasn't that suspicious. So, one caution must be kept in mind by women. Important to emphasize that Pompeiura likes love, reinvents itself, and so on. So my big kind of self-identified, stable, substantial, reinvented should be opposed. I think the problem I think that this is a certain logic welcoming you into you that have known one lover's hand thing we can do one their actual embodiments the dream releases the shade the underworld sensations chiefly from those and his footnote the ego is a ridiculous digression. Restrooms, 
ways to reconcile because for me the little animals Aronofsky himself and he be at my very elbow alchemy work use it is so strong must destroy in order to be contained within the limits of self-preservation. Shakespeare portrayed this. His impetuous lovers cannot be satisfied by the activation of a small amount of libido that is indispensable to the tarot is a cut-up. Sigils are cut-ups. A, my mind is settling down. Sky across the pretty head into the street. Two, and all I get is trouble and strife. I'd really like a Swiss army knife and claws. To move on, how do we make it work? even better one was we can do it I guess it did work but the question becomes if we were going that's a question we want to ask this mother because if not I have thank you very much bye Okay, last thing. Have lived for art. Photographers, I couldn't want to nourish growth. Pornography, too. I know that it. I have known. I love you very much.